Hello, in the beginning there was a big bang which led me to the creation of brief history of time. Now from beyond the grave. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo-
like I, I've I've only really just started to narrow in on what ones I like, and I'm a big fan personally of Scotch ale. I like dark ales and I like red ales. I don't mind sours. Sours tend to be quite, in, as the name suggests, fruity. I've actually got a, a I've ordered beer from the Caledonian craft beer merchant in Dunfermline. There's a wee plug. So I'm going to pick that up later on today. And I've ordered, I think it was peaches and nectarine sour. And that's, as the name suggests, it's sour, but it's, it's a lot more fruity, bordering on maybe like a cider. You could maybe go at, go at it from that angle. There's, like I said, you can get laggers as well. But you also get different strengths as well. And that sometimes accounts because, like I said, I like scotch ales and they tend to be quite heavy and they tend to be quite strong. And very quick sidestep, that first time I went to Amsterdam, after we dropped all our stuff at our hotel, we went out to a pub. And I was picking beers off the chalkboard in this pub that were based on the names. And they had awesome names like this one's called Flying Snake and this one's called Green Dragon. And it wasn't until I'd bought and paid for them that I realised that they were like 13.5%, 15%. So I had two or three of these and I was off my ass. Like I was pretty hammered pretty fast. It tasted nice and it took maybe a while to get kind of get into it. But there's definitely a lot of different different breweries and different yeah. styles of craft beer and stuff so what i would maybe suggest and by the way i am absolutely no connoisseur this is just personal experience kind of figure out what it is you drink regularly so if you are more into budweiser or if you like carling or whatever and there's gonna there's gotta be someone online or even if you go to a craft beer shop they might be able to make suggestions based on that because i mean i I like brew dog stuff as well but usually with brew dog it's very hit and miss with me like if i don't like it like i really don't like it but if i like it i pretty much love it because i've got the shop there and i don't think they do brew dog but because the shop's in dunfermline which is a 10 minute drive for me that's where i go he the colin who runs the shop he's got all his stuff up online fairly regularly so you can always see the new stuff that's coming in and obviously you can't go into the shop right now so it's a sort of order and collect system that he's got going so he's got a google docs with everything that he's got there but um yeah there's definitely try maybe take a note of what you've had so far and what you didn't enjoy um everything everything crafty that has passed my lips <laughs> all right has, has has so far resulted in in some sort of my body will not accept this my 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 throat <laughs> will not accept this and i've said it before do not lower the, uh, the tone. That, is my, that is my job i know you want it but but no yeah i'm playing the straight man I'm playing oh, the straight man here. How the tables His... have turned. <laughs> yeah, you, I mean, you make a compelling argument and you, you're using words that I'm thinking, oh, I really like sour sweets. I like sour flavours. I didn't realise there were sour beers. Now, yeah. treat me like I'm mm-hmm. an idiot. And again, please don't say, well, there's nothing new there, Dave. <laughs> I mean, is it like having a sour sweet? Is it? What, a little what, bit. You're saying it's a sour beer. What? Um, a little bit, right. I'll give you another quick example. I went to a sort of Hogmanay party that was at the Hanging Bat in Edinburgh and you got so many tokens for so many beers. I went up two or three times for a particular one that was called Raspberry Cheesecake. I can't rem- I, it bugs me to this day that I can't remember who the brewery was, but it's, it was Raspberry Cheesecake Sour and it tasted like Raspberry Cheesecake, you know, minus the biscuity bottom. Thank God there wasn't like a layer of biscuit at the bottom <laughs> of the glass. That would have been disgusting. Oh, you know. <laughs> 
but that was really good so i will make this recommendation because i quite like their stuff there is a brewery you might have to wait a while till you can get their stuff again but there's a brewery in dundee called 71 brewing and they do all sorts of really tasty yummy stuff but they sort of specialize in the kind of sour stuff and the more kind of fruity beers they've got one called bananas no pajamas which is a sort of banana flavored beer it's it's a bit it's a bit of a funny one you really do have to kind of try and taste different things but 71 brewing i've got like a wide range wide wide range would that be local to dundee as well yeah because i go to dundee a couple at least a couple times a all year. right well i mean i can get 71 brewing stuff from like the place in dunfermline like i think it really depends on where you go but the breweries in dundee and they've got like a little they've got a tap room in dundee as well you might even be able to order online from them but they've got things like quite raspberry bonbon i'm sure that was one of them which if any of their other beers that i've had taste anything like the name then it will probably taste like a raspberry bonbon that might be an in for you now one last question as well yeah what, and again this is probably going to sound idiotic right but i just have to ask it you said red beer or red ales why, why is it red why is it red i'm not sure uh maybe there's maybe it's made with bits of real red squirrel like uh, sex panther no it's um <laughs> <laughs> that's where they all win <laughs> that's, that's why they're uh, declining in population no i'm not really sure about the whole process it's just i've had a number of red ales or red beers or whatever you want to call them and my personal favorite red ale is from a brewery just it's in perth called i think it's Abernight Abernight brewery and they do a beer called canoe red and i love it like it's really really good cairn gorm brewery up in aviemore they do one called i think it's red squirrel which might actually have bits of red squirrel in it but that's that that's their re- that's their red ale which is really good um but <laughs> does it have little fine hairs maybe <laughs> some that's teeth if you get really lucky <laughs> i like red ale i like my scotch ale I like the heavy ones and and i kind of know the breweries that i like to go to but i, I always try and try something new if i'm trying something new i'll usually base it on the name it's got a brilliant name so i've ordered one a new beer that i've not tried before i can't remember who made it called uh, apocalyptic thunder juice which i thought that sounds incredible that sounds like something i have to try and i think i can't remember if it's like a sour or if it's a dark ipa or something but i've I've ordered that that sounds like a special special ability <laughs> that toxic avenger has. it sounds like a pokemon move almost like you know pikachu's use apocalyptic <laughs> thunder juice yeah but there's another one another brew last one i grew i basically grew up in cowden beath there's a microbrewery in cowden beath now called beath brewery and they made a beer i'm trying to remember the name of it now it had unicorn in the name it was a very it was a really funny name but it, that was really good like i really enjoyed that i think that might have been a red ale probably getting all my wires crossed but whatever it was it was really really good no frills bottle or label it was just pretty simple quite straightforward but yeah and there was no there was no broken there was no like rusty nails in the bottom or anything it was great i drank it and i survived handed to you in a tin can <laughs> with the straw oh man we're gonna get so much hate if anyone in cowden beath listens to this <laughs> To be fair, that's that's quite upmarket for Cowden Beef. Oh yeah, right enough. My wife used to work in Cowden Beef. You know, I've got a lot of re- I've got a lot of respect for beef, but I'm just saying it as it is. That, <laughs> that's you know, rusty tin can with glass. That's upmarket for Saturday night. <laughs> that's a regular Saturday night. We're now on episode five yep. of our groovy podcast, our film podcast. I don't know why I said groovy. <laughs> 
I don't know if I'm channeling Austin Powers. Groovy, baby! Yeah! <laughs> That's quite good. We have a new genre that we're dealing with this week. I know that when I first announced it, you were yes. maybe a little bit sceptical, but kind of like, huh, really? Really? Uh, just looking back at the list of movies that we've discussed so far, this one? Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's going to be interesting as the podcast develops to, to see what you think. But we're dealing with... <laughs> 1995 film Clueless directed by Amy Heckerling mm-hmm. I would personally say and I'm going to try and get my vernacular right I would say like it's a total classic <laughs> and you you might respond oh, by geez, saying yeah. whatever now <laughs> yeah yeah so there's going to be a lot of that <laughs> and oh oh there's also please keep Keep on listening, all of our followers, because at the end, when we when we're when we've done our rating system, when we've discussed the movie, there is going to be a quiz. Now, Duke does not know this until now, because I have kept it a nope. secret. Uh, I yeah, have this has been thrust upon down. me. This was this oh, was God. not discussed in the pre-show chat. So, and the good thing is here that he is he is unable to get any help with answers because we are recording so i cannot wait for this quiz because i know all the answers and i know it's going to be painful for him okay you're probably going is this like an oxima commercial or what but seriously i actually have a way normal life for a teenage girl i mean i get up I brush my teeth, and I pick out my school clothes. Daddy's a litigator. Those are the scariest kinds of lawyers. Even Lucy, our maid, is terrified of him. And Daddy's so good, he gets $500 an hour to fight with people. But he fights with me for free because I'm his daughter. Daddy! Cheer, please, don't start with the juice again. Daddy, you need your vitamin C. Where's my briefcase? It's been a couple months now, so I said we'd go out to Malibu. Don't tell me those brain-dead lowlifes have been calling again. They are your parents. And don't try sneaking out of the office. Dr. Lovett's coming by to give you a flu shot. Oh, Josh is in town. He's coming for dinner. Why? He's your stepbrother. But you were hardly even married to his mother, and that was five years ago. Why did you see Josh? You divorce wives, not children. Here. Forget it. Did I show you the lumped-out Jeep Daddy got me? It's got four-wheel drive, dual-side airbags, and a monster sound system. I don't have a license yet, but I need something to learn on. Boy, they came out of nowhere. Here's where Dion lives. She's my friend because we both know what it's like to have people be jealous of us. Girlfriend. And I must give her snaps for her courageous fashion efforts. Hey, Shan. Dion and I were both named after great singers of the past who now do infomercials. So? The shopping with Dr. Seuss? Well, at least I wouldn't skin a collie to make my backpack. It's faux. Hello? That was a stop sign? I totally paused. We're yep. dealing with Clueless, directed by Amy Hickering. The film itself, we have a shallow, rich, and socially successful Cher, played by Alicia Silverstone, 
who you could actually see probably was a was a veteran actress by this point. This was about her eighth movie. She'd also appeared in a number of MTV music videos, notably hmm. Crying by Aerosmith, which is actually how she ended up getting the part for this film. So we've got Cher Horowitz. Mm. She's at the top of her Beverly Hills High School's pecking scale. Seeing herself as a matchmaker, Cher first coaxes two teachers into dating each other. Emboldened by her success, she decides to give hopelessly klutzy new student, Ty, played by Brittany Murphy, a makeover. When Ty becomes more popular than she is, Cher realises that her disapproving ex-stepbrother, played by the immortal, the never-aging Paul Rudd, was right about how misguided she was. And in the end, she actually falls for him. And I know that sounds a bit icky, but we will cover that as well. The whole film is based on the matchmaking novel Emma by Jane Austen. It's a modernisation, if you will. The plot, the characters, the themes, they're all taken from that novel. Amy Heckerling was asked by Paramount to write a pilot episode for a new TV series that was going to focus on teenagers. So she was approached by Paramount and actually she didn't want to do it. If you look at Amy Heckerling's filmography, she actually had already made a fairly successful teenage movie in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Probably is, is most renowned for the fact that you've got Sean Penn playing a stoner and you've got Phoebe Cates from Gremlins exposing herself in a bit of a full frontal scene. In terms of teen comedies, she kind of ticked the box and that, that, was, that was 1982 that Richmond High came out. So she wasn't really looking to do anything like that again. So she wrote a screenplay for a pilot episode called I Was a Teenage Teenager mm. and that got bought by 20th Century Fox in the end, not even Paramount, and they ended up shelving it. She kind of went back to the drawing board and she remembered that she looked at the character that she was kind of creating and she realised that this was very similar to Emma and she'd read Emma in college. So then she kind of took the novel and reread it three times and realised that unconsciously she had been pretty much writing a modernization of Emma. So she decided to just rip up the floorboards and that's what she was going to do. It took one of her friends who was her agent, Ken Stovitz, he pushed her to write it as a movie and not as a TV pilot. He gave it to Scott Rudin, who was a new producer at Paramount. Scott Rudin is one of the most successful Hollywood producers living today. Scott Rudin has produced films, Oscar-winning films, multi-award-winning films like The Truman Show, like No Country for Old Men. Okay, so they got very excited by it. So it's kind of she went she went full circle and she ended up getting a green light at Paramount because you have this teenage comedy the teen genre the teen comedy genre is pretty much dead in 1994 nobody's making them if they are making them they're not really performing very well mainly because they're they're not tapping in to what's actually happening they're not using the dialogue that kids are using the kids don't speak like kids in these films so that's what amy hickering decided to do because she kind of realized do you know what as long as I can make fun of these teenagers at the same time, maybe there's a way in here. And that, that's what she did. I mean, 
Pickering's an accomplished filmmaker, uh, studied at the New York University, the American Film Institute as well. She has made previous movies like Look Who's Talking, which she actually was inspired by that based on her own pregnancy. She worked on the sequel to National Lampoon's Vacation, National Lampoon's European Vacation, and she's also made the film Loser in 2000, which is an underrated kind of college comedy, I would say. So you've got this dead genre. I don't know why Dion's going out with the high school boy. They're like dogs. You have to clean them and feed them, and they're just like these nervous creatures that jump and slobber all over you. Ew, get off of me! Should all oppressed people be allowed refuge in America? Amber will take the composition. Cher will be pro. Cher, two minutes. So, okay. Like right now, for example, the Hadians need to come to America. But some people are all, what about the strain on our resources? But it's like when I had this garden party for my father's birthday, right? I said RSVP because it was a sit-down dinner. But people came that, like, did not RSVP. So I was, like, totally bugging. I had to haul ass to the kitchen, redistribute the food, squish in extra place settings. But by the end of the day, it was like, the more, the merrier. And so, if the government could just get to the kitchen, rearrange some things, we could certainly party with the Hadians. And in conclusion, may I please remind you that it does not say RSVP on the Statue of Liberty. Amber, uh, reply. Mr. Hall, how can I answer that? The topic is Haiti, and she's talking about some little party. Hello, it was his 50th birthday. Whatever. If she doesn't do the assignment, I can't do mine. You've got somebody who initially didn't really want to be part of that genre again. They weren't sure what they were going to get out of it. Yet you end up with this really clever, sweet, enduring, matchmaking comedy that breathes life back mm -hmm. into the genre. Probably until at least 2001 when Not Another Teen Movie comes out with Chris Evans and when you're making a parody of something that's already parodying what's in society that's kind of no you know that you've done it to death by that point so that comes out we've got stuff that's inspired from John Hughes comedies in the 80s we've got a script that is going to hopefully bring life raise awareness to social class very much in the same way that the novel Emma does for the time I would say it's successful. It's hard for some people to kind of judge based on numbers. Your box office, 56 million. Your budget, 12 million. Now, it's made its money back. It's made more than its money back. Okay, so we, we have to base success on that. I mean, the question I think is going to be, how did you kind of fare with it? And has it endured? Well, like we said, the pre-podcast discussion, um, this isn't really my film. Now, I want to first of all say that I'm not, I'd, I'd like to think I'm not really a film snob. I'm not overly a manly man, so it wasn't anything to do with that. Like, I, I did go into this film trying to keep as open a mind as possible because when you suggested it at the end of the last podcast, I thought, right, okay, it's not something I would pick, but there might be something that I get from it. There might be something I miss. And a lot of what you've said already kind of ticked what I was thinking. Um, like, like you 
explained, you know, it was a genre that was kind of, it wasn't really a thing in the 90s. And this definitely nailed it. It's, it's, it's not my personal, it's not what I would personally choose to watch as a film or even as a genre. It's not even specifically Clueless. It's just like any kind of film. Like I didn't really go in for any of the American Pie films or anything like that. Like it's just not my thing. But you were absolutely bang on. The reason that... Uh-huh any other previous sort of teen movie in the 90s probably didn't land was because Clueless kind of nailed it with how teenagers actually spoke and what they go up to and, you know, going to parties and stuff like that. I mean, maybe it was different due to the sort of class system because obviously it's the kind of the richy rich of Beverly Hills and, uh, you know, um, expensive mansions and parents buying cars and stuff. So we decided to show Ty the ropes at Bronson Alcott High School. That is Alana's group over there. They do the TV station. They think that's the most important thing on Earth. Uh-huh. And that's the Persian Mafia. You can't hang with them unless you own a BMW. And there's Elton in the white vest. And all the most popular boys in the school. Including my boyfriend, ain't he cute? Yeah. If you make the decision to date a high school boy, they are the only acceptable ones. Cher, which one of them's your boyfriend? Ask eh. Cher's got attitude about high school boys. <sighs> it's a personal choice every woman has got to make for herself. Woman. Yeah. Let me find Alice. Murray, I have asked you repeatedly not to call me woman. Excuse me, Miss Dion. Thank you. Okay, but street slang is an increasingly valid form of expression. Most of the feminine pronouns do have mocking, but not necessarily misogynistic undertone. Wow. You guys talk like grown-ups. Oh, well, this is a really good school. I'm gonna go get a soda. Yeah, but even within that system, you've still got... You've got the jocks. Yeah. You've got the, the geeks. You've got the nerds. You've got the attractive uh, girls that all click together. Yeah, you've got yeah. the stoners. You've mm-hmm. got the the tech guys. You always see these kind of groups because they exist. It, that's yeah. that's a reflection of, of of real life. And I think that that's if you actually look at Clueless and it showed you all these groups and it made a point of separating them all mm-hmm. and then showing perhaps how they kind of they don't socialise with each other. You you don't talk to a person in that group. I mean, that is a reflection of, of anybody's school life, I think. Yeah, and no, that's accurate. When you go to the late 90s, you then see that pattern with pretty much every... With American Pie, it's the same thing. I mean, one of them is on the lacrosse team. So he's the jock, and then the other one of them's mm. <laughs> the the nerdy, yeah. geeky guy. So you've got all these kind of character stereotypes but i don't think we would ever we'd ever seen them as streamlined before until clueless and clueless is still playing it i would say fairly innocent because we're now at the stage where we have to have gross out teen comedies Mm. and i'm a bit bored of that so the innocence that exists in clueless's world i'm more drawn to that i think that perhaps clueless maybe endures or i'm maybe drawn to clueless even when you hear the synopsis it's this idea of we've got a person they belong to a particular clique or a particular group and we see this in movies and we have a formula that i think clueless really sets up but it still remains quite innocent. You've got mm-hmm. a girl who wants to be a matchmaker and makes some mistakes along the way. It's about relationships. And I think the reason I'll go back to this is because we now mm-hmm. are in a time where we live among, amongst the, the gross-out teen comedies. We first saw that with American Pie. 
we want to have sex with a pie. We go to super bad and we get yeah. period on our trousers during a intimate dance. Okay. And I hold my hands up and all this stuff is, is funny. But there's only so far you can push it. Good Boys came out in 2019. And I mean, in there you're dealing with boys that are in the sixth grade. They're 11, 12 years old. They're getting mixed up in situations that are completely over the top. And essentially, they just want to have a party and get drunk at 11, 12 years old. I mean, what were you doing at 11 and 12 years old? 11 and 12 years old, I was probably still playing on my Nintendo DS. <laughs> I was still acclimatizing to being in high school and making pals, playing basketball. I wasn't really concerned about getting high or getting hammered. So yeah, not when I was 11 or 12. And to be honest, I'm still not really concerned with that. But <laughs> I was becoming a champion on Super Street Fighter Turbo. <laughs> Brilliant game. Excellent yes. game. So yeah, for me, I'm going to get drawn back to to Clueless, and I think it's one of the reasons I chose it is because I like its innocence, I like its creation of a formula and breathing new life into a kind of dead what was a dead genre. If we look at the kind of cast of the movie, Alicia Silverstone plays. Share Horowitz mm -hmm. in terms of modernization of the, the novel that is the Emma Woodhouse character she was cast from her appearance in an Aerosmith music video called Crying that Amy Heckerling actually saw when she was working out on a treadmill in a gym and the second she saw her she was like mm -hmm. that girl knows how to be both innocent and vulnerable so they called her in and they cast her straight away. Oh. Casting Cher was dead easy. I mean, Alicia Silverstone was 17. I mean, she would go on to, to be in other films. She would be a superhero. She would be Batgirl. But I don't think we should maybe... Mm. I don't think we should maybe talk about that one. <laughs> Why? That's Is that not the best one? Is that not the... The top of the tier best Batman film ever made, ever, with the bat nips and everything. <laughs> On the bat credit card. Oh, Jesus, yeah. Never, never leave home without it. Oh, God. And the bat ice skates. <laughs> and the, you could look, you could write a, a book on all the you know the one thing they didn't have in that film what? they didn't have bat repellent shark spray oh yeah now quick sidestep i've recently read batman comic because i collect it regularly and there was a reference made to that and i think it was maybe because there was obviously something to do with sharks and batman was he either said something along the lines of god i wish i had that spray on me now or he, or he actually did have something else like on him <laughs> that could get them off but I, I just thought it was a nice little nod to obviously like the adam west batman stuff but anyway it's, it's clueless we're talking about it's not batman so no it's not not uh, i feel it's like it's like voldemort we don't we don't mention the name of that film <laughs> it's forbidden yeah so i mean she's she's making her eighth movie and i i really liked alicia silverstone as the the main character share because she definitely had that kind of, I'm ditzy, I'm sweet, I'm not really that kind of bright, but I'm a trier. For her debating grade, she ends up being able to debate her way from a C to an A. Yeah. Not by actually debating on anything, she. No, just just purely, purely by arguing. Come on, you chuckleheads, get in here. Josh, are you still growing? You look taller than you did at Easter. I don't think so. 
Doesn't he look bigger? His head does. So, Josh, have you given any thought to a little discussion about corporate law? Yeah, you know, but I think I'd really like to check out environmental law. What for? You want to have a miserable, frustrating life? Oh, Josh will have that no matter what he does. At least he knows what he wants to do, and he's in a good college. I'd like to see you have a little bit of direction. I have direction. Yeah, towards the mall. Which reminds me, where's your report card? It's not ready yet. What do you mean, it's not ready yet? Well, some teachers were trying to lowball me, Daddy. And I know how you say never accept a first offer, so I figure these grades are just a jumping off point to start negotiations. Very good. Oh. D? Yeah? Hello? Huh? Yeah, Jake, what? No, not the afternoon! You're such a brown noser. Oh, and you were such a superficial I told you I want it in the morning! What makes you think you can get teachers to change your grade? Doesn't he understand? Only the fact that I've done it every other semester. In the morning! No, I totally agree. And I think one of the things that, for me, it didn't sit was because I was, I think I was waiting throughout the entire film for her to show like a really nasty side. Because usually that kind of character in any other film, whether it's teenager or whatever, usually the popular blonde girl is like the nastiest piece of work mm. and you, you know we've, we've used the word quite a lot but definitely there was innocence to it like so she was you know she was trying yeah um a little, a little bit ditzy but there wasn't like a bad bone in her really you know she was kind of just like a good person a little misguided but she was just trying to do good things which she yeah. continues to do but i was just honestly through the through yeah. the entire thing i was just waiting for that sort of dark shadow to kind of like glaze over her face like all ah, right there it is there it is. she's the nasty blonde popular girl that everyone knows at least one of when they're at high school there it is but she it wasn't her that's the thing isn't it yeah because the she is she's she's the chirpy blonde girl from the valleys and mm -hmm. you you are waiting i think you're right we all know people like that we perhaps grew up yeah. with them we went to school with them and you're waiting for the claws to come out, but she, it doesn't happen. She's really nice, and she's really innocent. Yeah. And now, that's the thing. Yep. Is that some people might be completely sickened by that, and therefore they might, you know, nobody's that nice, nobody's that endearing. I mean, even even mm. when she, <laughs> during her driving test, when she runs into a car, she goes, ooh, should I write them a note? Oh, and she keeps on driving. <laughs> she's just... The, the driving test, but I find quite funny. That was that was quite good. Yeah. So I think in terms of casting, I think to get this role purely based mm. on this kind of muted performance and for Heckering, Heckerling to see that this actress can actually give her innocence and vulnerability mm. and she didn't even hear a word come out of her mouth, I think is great when yeah. you've got competition. Because she was cast straight away and Heckerling had the utmost confidence. Yeah. But other casting directors are saying, no, no, you need to look at these people. So you've got like Reese Witherspoon, for example who was just as established and i can't see reese witherspoon being able to play uh, pull that off because even when she did legally blonde she actually still had that kind of there was a bit of a viper in her which i don't think there is in in share no yeah and I, I, like i said I, i've not really watched a great deal of films in that kind of genre but you watch enough films you come across the high school element even in things like and god this is really going to you know be the final nail in the coffin of how much of a nerd i am but you sort of see the high school dynamic in like the sam raimi spider-man film with like flash thompson being the bully and you know mary jane being the, the sort of girl on his arm kind of thing so you know you, you see the same stuff happening over and over again because that's what high school is essentially we've got Cher horowitz 
17. Uh, I'm going to now touch on the kind of romantic lead. Okay, so in Emma, the Mr. Knightley ends up with Emma and mm. Mr. Knightley becomes Josh Lucas. Mm -hmm. Josh Lucas is played by Paul Rudd. What does she want with Josh anyway? He dresses funny. He listens to complaint rock. He's not even cute in the conventional way. I mean, he's just like this slug who hangs around the house all the time. Ugh. And he's a hideous dancer. Couldn't take him anywhere. Wait a second. What am I stressing about? This is like Josh. Okay, okay. So he's kind of a Baldwin. But what would he want with Ty? She could make him happy. Josh needs someone with imagination. Someone to take care of him. Someone to laugh at his jokes. In case he ever makes any. Then suddenly. Oh my god. I love Josh. I am majorly, totally, but crazy in love with Josh. But now I don't know how to act around him. I mean, ordinarily I'd strut around him in my cutest little outfits and send myself flowers and candy, but I couldn't do that stuff with Josh. I keep on referring to Paul Rudd whenever I talk about him in any kind of context. I usually say the immortal, the never-aging aging Paul Rudd. I found it quite... I didn't actually realise this, but this was only the second film that Paul Rudd had actually made. And it actually came out first. A lot of people think that Clueless is his first movie, but he filmed Halloween 6 first. It just came out slightly after. Oh. And Paul Rudd was 26 oh, when he made good this. good God, really? Yeah. And you, so you've got that wow. idea. You've got, you've got a 17-year-old. Cher is 16 in the film, okay? Now, obviously, Paul Rudd's not playing like a 26-year-old in the film. He's yep. supposed to be at college. So he's like 18, 19, 20, whatever, okay? Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. This that, this was a bit of a weird one, and you know, it, it is it is what it is. It's a bit of an odd thing. Now they're not related by blood in the film, or anything like that. But the fact that they were once part of a family and no longer are, I just thought, yeah, that's weird. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be able to unthink that. It's the kind of thing you put into Google on a late night and you see a <laughs> and see a dramatization of. <laughs> Dramatization. <laughs> a, a CD production. <laughs> an, an independent CD low budget production for this type of general storyline. Yes, that's, oh, that's normally what you would get. That's what you get. But I, I was just, as you mentioned, in Paul Rudd's age, I th he didn't look 26. Well, he obviously doesn't look the age that he currently is because he's the immortal Paul Rudd, but. He didn't look like he was... He's 51. That's insane. That is... Oh, God, what? 51. Oh, man, whatever that guy is eating or drinking or doing, it's clearly working to stave off age. And it's bloody impressive because, you know, he, he, I'll admit in the film he doesn't look like he's... Eh, well, maybe actually, you know, maybe 19 or 20. He looks closer to that than 26. And I know that you sometimes don't have a great deal of visual, you know, physically... There's not a great deal of physical appearance differences between those two ages, but he definitely looks closer to the age that he was supposed to be playing than the age he actually was. I genuinely thought he was a lot younger in, in 
1995, but wow, 26. He, he just seems to have some sort of secret access to the Fountain of Youth. I think he looks younger now than he did when he was actually in Clueless. I don't know if that's to do with the wardrobe yeah. or whatever, but it's ridiculous. When you see him in Ant-Man, oh, and he's, yeah. he's got the oh, gratuitous scene where you know he's contracted to show his flesh and yeah. he's got his ripped tabs and things like that, and you're just like, how, how old are you? Oh, yeah. You look about 12. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty weird. I'll give you a, a quick interesting factoid. There's a, an interview with Henry Cavill when he's talking about The Witcher. I don't know if you've maybe seen it. But he talks about, you know, sort of topless scenes and obviously Henry Cavill is the modern day Adonis, you know, absolutely cut and whatnot. But when they go, to, when they're going to film scenes like that for whatever production, they actually start to slowly dehydrate you in order for you, the skin, for your skin to actually pull up against your muscles more. And it gets, so I don't know what it is. It starts off with like three, three or four days before production, you're down to like a liter of water two days you're down to like half a liter for a whole day and then like for the entire day before and shooting no water and obviously you become dehydrated your body becomes dehydrated you know the skin sticks to the muscles you know shows that a little bit more definition but it gets to the point where you can smell water you're so dehydrated <laughs> that you can actually smell water and you need to get to it. So I found that quite interesting. That's that probably that's probably something they do. It's very interesting and it's also very worrying at the same time. Oh yeah, absolutely. The lengths yeah. that people it, will go to. Oh god, I know. To look good uh, on camera. Yeah, but you know they have to keep the forty-year-old mums happy that are dragging their teenage kids <laughs> along to these films. So you know it's a film for everyone. It's one thing to starve yourself, but to dehydrate yourself so that you're more taut. Yep. Body can physically go without food longer than it can go without water. You can go something ridiculous like ten days without eating anything, and you'll be fine. You but you can go you can go like hmm. two or three days yeah, without yeah, yeah. water, and you'll collapse over and you might not make it. You can last up to 40 days without food, but you, you cannot survive Jesus. beyond a week. Usually at day four, that's when your organs start to shut down and you, you enter the, the death zone. Uh, but yeah. I, Good I, God. I'm, right. I, it's almost like, what is it? A, a, like a three day fast almost of, of everything. You're reducing everything just so that you can look ripped. Yeah. I wonder if, if, if they've got <laughs> yeah i'm gonna rewatch some of these scenes just to see if they've touched it up you know have they removed a man in a green suit who is who is holding the actor up because because they are virtually passed out by that point <laughs> have they got cgi eyes because their eyes their eyes are that messed up oh uh, yeah yeah look closely and what, what they do is they get someone in a green morph suit to like yeah you know sort of just pinch the bottom and top lip of the actor and just kind of move them and then they just do the voice dub later we get older actors to play younger parts i think mainly because there are very strict rules when it comes to child actor and that that's mainly to do with like safety and things like that mm -hmm. so we've got 17 year old elisa silverstone we've got 26 paul rudd paul rudd's actually not the oldest out mm. of the teen cast, as it would be. Stacey Dash, who plays D Davenport, that's Cher's best friend. Uh, Stacey Dash is 28. She's playing a 16-year-old. Good God. Right, well, she definitely didn't look like she was 28. That could just be her as well as wardrobe, but bloody hell. 
Yeah, really good genes. Good genes. Definitely good genes. Because, I mean, her boyfriend, Murray Duval, played by Donald Fajon. Oh, yes. He's 21. I mean, he would go on to star in things like Scrubs. Absolutely loved Scrubs. One of the best things on TV. Probably the out of the whole cast, the only people who are actual teenagers, one's Alicia Silverstone and the other is Brittany Murphy, who was 16. There you go. There you go. All right, share. Earth to share! Come in, share! <laughs> oh my god. Oh. Ms. Stoger, I would just like to say that physical education in this school is a disgrace. I mean, standing in line for 40 minutes is hardly aerobically effective. I doubt I've worked off the calories in a stick of carefree gum. <laughs> well, you certainly exercise your mouth, share. Now hit the ball. Miss Stoger, that machine is just a lawsuit waiting to happen. Thanks for the legal advice. Dion, you're up. Oh, no, Miss Stoger, I have a note from my tennis instructor, and he would prefer it if I didn't expose myself to any training that might derail his teachings. Fine. Amber? Miss Stoger, mm -hmm. my plastic surgeon doesn't want me doing any activity where balls fly at my nose. Well, there goes your social life. Miss <laughs> Stoger? Got another one. Ladies, we have a new student with us. This is Ty Frazier. Ty, you don't have time to change, but you could hit a few balls in those clothes. She could be a farmer in those clothes. <laughs> See, my mission is clear. Would you look at that girl? She is so adorably clueless. We've got to adopt her. Cher, she is toe up. Our stock would plummet. Dee, don't you want to use your popularity for a good cause? No. Come here. Yeah, come here. Hang with us. Oh, thank you. How do you like California? Man, I'm freaking. I could really use some sort of an herbal refreshment. Oh, well, we do lunch in 10 minutes. We don't have any tea, but we have Coke and stuff. No shit, you guys got Coke here? Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is America. So Brittany Murphy plays Ty. Tragically, Brittany Murphy died of pneumonia in 2009. And this is one of her, if not her, her first appearances on screen. And she has a real genuine kind of sweetness to her because she becomes the project or share in her matchmaking endeavor. She gets the makeover. And when you were saying earlier about you were waiting for the kind yeah. of the nails to dig in for share, you're expecting that kind of bitchy moment. It's actually Ty, who's she's the modernization of Harriet Smith, who is Emma's best friend. Yeah. Ty gets the bitchy moment when she turns around yeah. after a heated argument over which boy she should like because she's so confused. And she says, what right. do you know? You're just a virgin who can't drive. And that was one of the things that I thought didn't quite sit with me as well, because even though Cher wasn't, didn't have that sort of, you know, that catty moment, she wasn't really like that. There still seemed to be like almost like a bit of a, a space for almost like a villain of some sort or an antagonist at least, but there really wasn't that. And maybe, you know, maybe that, that was a lesson for me that not all films need uh, protagonist and an, and an antagonist or it's like an internal struggle or anything but she did have that kind of moment and I guess that was probably the closest thing to it 
closest thing to her like oh right so you're the bad person but they very quickly make up and it's all kind of just be like all oh, right okay you know she had a moment sort of thing okay i've got a villain for you then all right okay mm-hmm. so and obviously where while i watched the film three times <laughs> i think our listeners would love to know how many viewings it took for you to watch this once Right, I had to. I'd done it in two sittings. I thought it was going to take three, but I managed to do it in two. I watched the first half hour. He wanted it to be three. Yeah, I probably should have spaced myself out more. Not, no, not with narcotics. Like just, you know, eased myself into it more. But no, I, I got through the first 20, 25 minutes of it and i could see red i i had never been more annoyed and infuriated by what people were saying how they were saying it everyone involved everyone on screen I, it's just not my kind of thing but i thought no i'm gonna get through this this is for a podcast and i should watch films i would not usually go for yep and not normally watch were you screaming my name blue murder why why has Pix chosen What this? I done was I went out <laughs> and I made sure that no one else was in the street because of social distancing. I dropped to my knees and screamed to the heavens, "Pick up ants!" And that that seemed to <laughs> that seemed to get out of my system. Okay, so but my my fiance who quite enjoys a girly film every now and again could not sit through the rest of it with me, so I had to watch the other hour or hour and a bit by myself. <laughs> And it was it was tricky. I've climbed <laughs> mountains. I go to a fitness class that's run by ex-military people. Yeah, that was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> you don't necessarily sit down and watch a, a lot of teen comedies. No. What are you wanting from a teen comedy? What has it got to have for you? Like you said, I don't watch teen comedies, but Coilus did tick a lot of teen comedy boxes the thing that lacked for me was the comedy <laughs> right it got it, it got it, it, it had teens nothing else it had yeah it, it had, didn't even it had have teenagers teens, Duke. only two of them were teens we've done the ages there only, yeah there was only two teenagers it was a bunch of pretenders not even real ones um i could see the jokes right and this is this is where i'll, I'll explain myself the comedy because this was a teenage film and it was the demographic it was aimed for was teenagers, I couldn't put my teenage head on and watch the film because even as a teenager, I preferred things like Monty Python, Blackadder, Scrubs, you know, the more kind of ridiculous kind of comedy. And then as I got older, I guess more kind of, I wouldn't even say highbrow, but just more kind of reference comedy to other things you should have seen or watched or read by that point in your life. I'm like, oh, that's funny. Chuckle, chuckle. But I would always much prefer to go for things like Father Ted than American Pie because that's just my sense of humour. That's just what I find funny and that's kind of the, mm-hmm. my friend group. That was what they kind of found funny. However, this was obviously a film that absolutely nailed it for 95, making the W sign with your hands and saying whatever. Right now, that is the cringiest thing to watch. But back then, that was the popular, funny, kind of way to show attitude. And yet, it's probably funny to teenagers in 95 you were 15 in 95 yes i was three (laughs) i was three years old (laughs) so a lot of this is kind of lost on me because i don't remember a great deal of the 90s you were not part of the target audience and then even in revisiting it even though you were a teenager at some point it's that you still weren't part of that target audience yeah and it, it missed me completely but 
to actually go back to your original question, for a teenage, for a teen comedy, it would probably, for me personally, need to be a little bit closer to Clueless than something like American Pie or Not Another Teen Movie, because gross-out comedies, I am, I probably would say, I've got zero interest in like whatsoever. It's not for me. This was at least accurate on things for the time, and the target audience, um, and in that respect it probably hit the nail on the head quite well. Do you think that teen comedies, like gross out teen comedies, do you think that they are just too lazy, whereas this was actually trying to tie things in with, with the vernacular, with the speech, with the with even the, the overtop fashion? Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think you might be right. I mean, don't get me wrong, gross out comedies aren't for me, but there's obviously an audience out there for that. Um, and I don't know if laziness is the right word, because obviously someone had to put this script together. But in terms of the jokes that are used and the overall story, there's more of both in Clueless, even though the comedy doesn't agree with me, there's more of it in Clueless than there is in, say, American Pie. The, the quest, basically, to get laid mm. and get hammered and, you know, go to parties and pick up chicks and stuff like that. It, it's all, that, all of that's kind of lost on me, and at least I can kind of see what Clueless was going for. But yeah, that's, that's basically what I would go for, even though it's not even a fantastic answer. That's kind of what I would look for in a teen comedy. Closer to Clueless, not gross out comedy, but what about you? What's what, what would uh, what, What's needed for a teen comedy for... for picks well for me i don't want to sound repetitive because i have said this before in previous podcasts Uh, i said it in extraordinary i said it in knives out and unfortunately when it comes to good screenplays good screenwriting and a good teen comedy i have to have characters that i can invest in i have to have people that are there to be liked by me that are there to be disliked by me and Mm. it's interesting you mentioned about the film not having any particular like villain to latch onto but in terms of characters there was a villain and he does enrage me really enrages me actually because he is someone that i knew lots of at school and it is it's the slime ball it's the sleazy guy it's the person who pretends to be your best friend and gets his hands all over you and listens to you and actually all he really wants to do is stick his tongue down your throat and get his hands in your pants so we're talking about the character of Elton. Didn't Ty look cute tonight? Turn away, turn away, turn away, turn away, I really love her hair when it's all wild, you know? It's also very pretty when it's all up with that curly tendrils, like in that picture I took. You know, you're one of my best friends. And I do not have friends that are girls well i'm glad because your happiness means a lot to me it does sure i mean i saw how hard your breakup with valette was yeah i think we both know what it feels like to be lonely (laughs) whatever the thing is is i'd really like to see you settled already where are we going I knew it. I knew it. 
Oh, you know what? She would totally sprung on me. Hello, don't you mean Ty? Ty? You have her picture in your locker. I have the picture you took in my locker. Oh, I'm having a Twin Peaks experience. I knew it. I knew it when you kissed me. The second blow is a game, Elton. <laughs> I know, isn't it? Stop it! Fine. You know, I don't get you, Cher. I mean, you flirt with me all year. As if I have been trying to get you together with Ty. Ty? Why would I go with Ty? Why not? Why not? Why not? Don't you even know who my father is? Ugh, you are a snob and a half. Cher, listen to me. Me and Ty, we don't make any sense, right? Me and, and, and you, well, I mean, it makes sense. Now, uh -huh. Jeremy Sisto actually plays him very well. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy Sisto is probably more renowned for kind of appearing in TV nowadays. Yep. He is playing the Philip Elton character from Emma and every time I see he, he sits behind Cher in class and when they get their results he massages Cher's neck when he finds some good news he hugs Cher Th this guy is really hands-on and th mm. that doesn't sit well with me because I've got a lot of friends that are girls if I was to do something like that if I was to hug them constantly if I was to massage their necks I'd get punched in the face. Society today, mm. we're kind of less tolerant to that kind of behaviour. And when I was watching, mm. re-watching this actually for the second time, I watched it three yeah. times prior to this podcast. I was watching it with my daughter, Emily, and Emily's 12, and she noticed it oh. as well. I, I didn't even say anything to her. And she was like, why doesn't, why doesn't she slap that guy? Now, Elton is actually really mean to her because he lures her to get in his car under the guise of he's being her friend, he's going to drop her off because it's on his way home. He then stops in a secluded kind of spot yeah. and tries to make out with her three times. And he doesn't take no for an answer until she actually gets out of the car. And his response... He drives away and he leaves her in the middle of nowhere. Now, yes, mm. this is comedy, okay? But actually, this is this was touching on quite a serious issue. And it's an issue that really, really angered me because I have zero tolerance for people like that. I knew yep. far too many people like that at school because they're only after one thing. And when my daughter said, why doesn't she slap him? I would have slapped him. I actually encouraged her. I was like, if a guy does that to you, I hope mm. you do more than slap him. Yep. It led to a nice kind of conversation, but just in terms of that kind of villain thing, I know that he's not necessarily this a, a villain you see, would say mm. is the centre of the film from start to finish, but he is the sleaze, he is the slime ball. but he's written that way and he performed it very, very well because I, I really hated him really hated him no absolutely that's actually a very good point and obviously now that you've mentioned that that makes a lot more sense and i probably didn't see him as being the villain villain because he wasn't right he wasn't there right up to the end i think he's about a third of the way through and you don't really see mm -hmm. him again 
But yeah, it, I think it's probably important that films back then had scenes like that to actually show it as a negative thing in a negative light because that is not how you behaved in that sort of situation. And like you said, you obviously knew people in high school that behaved like that and were like that. So it's probably good that, you know, Clueless being such a popular film as well for teenagers and kids that sort of age it probably made them more aware of like look you do not need to put up with this crap especially you know more so than anything especially if you're a girl like if you're uncomfortable and you're in a situation like that first of all try not get yourself in a situation like that and second of all defend yourself by any means necessary do not let yourself be forced upon by anyone and that still stands today yeah because i don't want to use the term like i don't think clueless was going down that kind of 90s line of female empowerment yeah no no not at all what they i do think they were just they were just genuinely showing right and wrong yeah and i think that they nailed it for whatever reason i mean jeremy sisto he really does come across as a sleep i mean he, he sings to her when they're driving home and like i said he, he's very handsy and things like that yeah psycho i look for the characters that I I want to I want to like characters that I want to dislike characters that I want to invest in characters that I want to see a kind of comeuppance for and I think this film has a lot of that it also has a lot of the cliches and it plays on the the framework for mm. characters in teen movies you've got the angry dad played fantastically by Dan Hedaya as Mel Horowitz Daddy what I can't just open it. I have to make him wait a while. Then he can wait outside. Josh, please. Come on, Josh. Come on. What do you hear? She's not ready. Hey, man. Nice pile of bricks you got here. You drink? No, thanks. I'm cool. I'm not offering. I'm asking you if you drink. You think I give alcohol to teenage drivers taking my daughter out? Hey, man, the protected vibe I dig. What's with you, kid? You think the death of Sammy Davis left an opening in the Rat Pack? You're not letting her go out like that, are you? Cher, get in here. What's up, Daddy? What the hell is that? A dress. Says who? Calvin Klein. It looks like underwear. Go upstairs and put something over it. Dad, we're just <laughs> going to. Hey, you. Anything happens to my daughter, I got a 45 and a shovel. I doubt anybody would miss you. Every scene that i see him in i just laugh because he's angry he's forceful and that's his character he's he's supposed to be that type of dad because there's no motherly figure in the movie it's just mel and Cher, and he's got some fantastic lines because he's constantly working and yet he is always going to be there for her for his daughter so one of my favorite lines yeah. is, and it's actually it's a it's a reference to the Coen brothers. So a boy enters, character Christian is taking Cher to uh, a party and then they're going to come back and watch some movies and things like that. And Mel looks at Christian 
and he says to them, he says, if anything happens to share, I've got a shovel and I've got a 45. You wouldn't be missed. Okay. Yeah. Not only is it a funny line and it's the kind of thing that a dad would say. I've already, I've already said to my daughter that any guy disrespects you, don't worry. I've got a baseball bat. The reference to the Coen <laughs> brothers is the fact that Dan Hedaya was actually shot by a forty-five and then buried in their movie Blood Simple. Oh, it shows you that the, the right. script by Heckerling is really clever because not only does she subtly put in a little nod to two of her friends, the Coen brothers, two very good accomplished film directors by that point as well, she has yeah. a very, very funny line for this stereotypical angry dad that she's created as well. It's like multiple kind of layers that are going on. So I have to, I know this is a very long <laughs> answer. I don't, I don't seem to do short answers to <laughs> neither of us do don't worry a phrase that i use when i teach filmmaking and it is characterization is key even if you're making a silent Mm. movie you Mm -hmm. have to communicate vital things about the character how they're feeling you can do that through costume you can do that through body language if you don't commit to character then your audience isn't going to no i totally agree what you get in this film is even though people are all from relatively similar cliques and different groups within the high school the characters that keep popping up do have their own personalities like oh, i recognize this face and um, the the sort of stoner skater guy that ty kind of likes Rican mayor um, uh, he plays travis birkenstock yeah. okay that was it travis birkenstock 38 tardies, by far the most tardies in the class. Congratulations. So unexpected. I uh, I didn't even have a speech prepared. Uh, But I would like to say this. Tardiness is not something you can do all on your own. Many, many people contributed to my tardiness. Uh, I'd like to thank my parents for never giving me a ride to school. The L.A. City bus driver for taking a chance on an unknown kid. And uh, last but not least, the wonderful crew at McDonald's for spending hours making those Egg McMuffins, without which I might never be tardy. Breaking Mayor is in the college gross-out comedy road trip. And he is also a co-writer and voice on Robot Chicken. Oh, right, okay. And I think he's, he's he's also in Rat Race as well. I was going to say, that's the film I recognise him from, is Rat Race. Underrated movie. Love yeah, Rat Race. Yeah, oh, it's, it's so funny. <laughs> uh, Rowan, Rowan Atkinson in that is so, so hilarious. Um, it, it is a race. <laughs> I, I am winning. Look, he drifted. Let's kill him. <laughs> So no, that that that'll be the film that I recognise him from. And now that you mentioned the robot chicken stuff, that all kind of that all makes sense because I can now hear his voice in um, some of the skits for that. You like his character? Yeah, I I do because again, he's he's almost a different clique from Cher, but he's he, he himself is a bit clueless and is a bit like unaware of what's actually going on and things that are important. But he he yeah. obviously starts to try and apply himself later on in the film and. You know, doesn't really give up on trying to yes. try and get with Ty until she sort of turns a little bit, and even Cher kind of then catches it and is like, "Oh wow, right." So Ty has become a bit of a monster. Yeah. So basically, one of the few morals of the story that I took away from it is that you, you know, you reap what you sow, and Cher kind of created in quotation marks Ty, who you know then becomes essentially the most popular girl in school, and you know has a bit of an attitude yes. change and. With Travis, he is the stoner skateboarder. And, you know, he doesn't change who who he is. 
well, he he tries to become a better person. Mm. He, he he says to one point to share that he's yeah, yeah. kind of given up weed because he's always liked high. When they first meet each other, they actually really hit it off. But it, it's kind of shares meddling that mm. she thinks that ties too good for someone like Travis and it takes her a while yeah. to actually click on to the fact good that fit. hang on Travis is actually a really nice guy and these two are really mm. good together so it's weird that it's like full circle isn't it so the, the people that should have been together all mm. along they just end up together all along and they're a really nice couple because Ty goes through that whole makeover where she gets all the red dye washed out of her hair and they give her the kind of Beverly Hills mini skirts and little shorts and things like that. And she starts to expose flesh. But when Ty first arrived, if they actually looked at her, mm. Ty was this kind of grungy looking skateboarder. So it's obvious that she was really perfect for someone like, like Travis. Yep. She tries to change Ty. Ty becomes her monster. Cher is Frank and Victor Frankenstein and Ty is the monster that goes out of control. And I quite like how they end up together, though, her and Travis. Because to me, that's not icky. Yeah. I'm going to use the word icky. I feel like that's what... It sounds like I should probably have some some, some sort of more sophisticated word, but mm -hmm. my only dislike of this movie is the ending and yep. that Cher gets together with her stepbrother. Or sorry, her ex-older stepbrother yeah. which is probably the, the whole ex stepbrother thing's probably supposed to try and cushion the blow but it's still i don't know it's just off it's not quite right they're not related by blood but still it's kind of like uh what <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh dear but you i mean you don't need to be doing this go out and have fun go shopping you think that's all I do? I'm just a ditz with a credit card? No, no, uh, that's not what I meant. It's just, um, you're young and beautiful and, 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 and uh, well, what? You think I'm beautiful? Uh, you know, you, you know you're gorgeous, all right, <laughs> and popular, and, uh, and, but this is not why I, you know, I come here. This is a good learning experience for me. I already said that. Mel, I, I want to help out Mel. Uh, he's the only one who cares about me. That's not true. He's not? Are you saying you care about me? Josh. Well, you can guess what happened next. Therefore, as if. I am only 16, and this is California, not Kentucky. You make this the bride. I was quite interested to find out about, like, I mentioned the budget for the film earlier on, and mm, in a yeah. film that's got a 97-minute runtime, one character, Cher, she has 63 
costume change Good and God. the budget for the all these ludicrous and over the top outfits the budget was only 200 grand for the for the whole thing for you know not, not just for one person's costume for the entire right. cast's costume it was 200 grand wow well when you say it like that you know that's still a ridiculous amount of money but it's an entire cast for an entire production so 200 grand even back then probably wasn't an insane amount of money when you think about what money needs to be spent on for different aspects of the film like the production team like the cameras that are used the sound equipment the editing and you know all the other stuff so it's, it's really yeah. not that much especially when it's such a uh, an important thing to the film as well you know clothing and how you look and how you're seen and what brands you wear and stuff that's all like super important in the film yeah. because that's the that's what they're trying to depict and stuff so yeah they're, they're trying to show that over the top glamorous kind of lifestyle yeah. i mean they actually used 53 different types of kind of tartan plaids Jeez. those 53 types of plaid were only worn by seven characters you can't show somebody <laughs> in the same costume twice it's almost like a rule all oh, right okay you never see a character wearing the same outfit more than once that's what the socialites oh. The only people you would see wearing like the same kind of clothes would be your minor characters. So Travis, for example, the, the stoner, he tends to wear the same. But for the <laughs> yeah. for the for shares group, they all have to have a different outfit for virtually it's almost virtually every scene. I mean, the fact that she she gets up in the morning and via her computer every morning she can visualize what outfit goes with what, and she can pick <laughs> ahead of the day. And everything's on a revolving kind of rail. Yeah, that was kind of funny. But one, one thing, I know we've said it multiple times, but definitely one thing about this film is that it absolutely nailed it for what was going on at the time for that target audience. But yeah. it also means that the other side of that coin is that this film does not age well. <laughs> there are some things you can, you, you can still, there's <laughs> things you can clearly take away from it. And there's stories and lessons and, you know, other bits and pieces and you know sometimes people watch it purely for nostalgic reasons um as well but for me personally like i was just on either side of this film so i'm, I'm on the wrong side of watching it the first time and i'm on the wrong side of nostalgia so it completely it just it came it completely missed me you you saying you wouldn't wear jeans that were hanging below your your butt cheeks well i did have incredibly baggy jeans when i was a teenager but um not that baggy not like 90s baggy yeah not that baggy. No, they, they still <laughs> remained on my person so share get in here yes daddy will you tell me what the hell this is um a second notice for three outstanding tickets I don't remember getting a first notice. The ticket is the first notice. I didn't even know you can get tickets without a license. Oh, sure you can. You can get tickets anytime. Oh, is that so? Well, not around here you can't. From this moment on, you will not drive, sit, do anything in that Jeep without a supervised driver present. And no cruising around with Dion, all right? Two permits do not equal a license. Do I make myself clear? Yes, Daddy. Cher, I expect you to become a good driver. I want to see you apply yourself. I will. I'm going to practice real hard. Okay. A licensed driver with nothing to do? Where would I find such a loser? I can't tell you how much I enjoy these little chats of ours, but in the interest of saving time, why don't you just tell me what you want? Okay. So, actually, I have a permit and I can drive and all, but Daddy says I can't take the Jeep out without a licensed driver. Since you're not doing anything at all, what you know. What are the chances of you shutting up till you get your way? Mm, slim to none. Come on. Want to practice parking? 
What's the point? Everywhere you go has valet. Let's cut to the chase. Four chainsaws out of five. That might shock you, but I can still carve up a lot of the Beverly Hills High School with my chainsaws. <laughs> it's a little corny in areas. I will admit that. It has a questionable ending, but it set the stage for future teen comedies to come. And <laughs> I know you yep. hated it, mm -hmm. but yeah. the vernacular, the dialogue, I just love the way they speak. The dialogue, the vernacular, who who can't love mm -hmm. like an, an extension of Bill and Ted for 97 minutes? <laughs> so for me, four, four yeah. chainsaws out of five. It's a good one. Oh, okay, right. It's only going to get two Infinity <laughs> Stones out of six for me. And that that is probably more heavily due to taste. Now now that I've had this discussion with you, yeah, you know, I was actually tempted to maybe give it more because now that we've talked about it more, there, we've uncovered a few things. There's things I didn't realise because, you know, you've you done the heavy lifting when it came to research for this and I found out some pretty interesting things. So the bits and pieces like that. So for personal taste, so the, the two... The two Infinity Stones for me are for things like clever use of writing and trying to be a bit of a parody, but that it's just that sort of stuff was kind of lost on me with the initial watch. Like if I had no other context, I would have just seen that film for the way I've kind of rated it and kind of taken my notes down. So I'm gonna yeah, I'm gonna give it two, but that's purely because teen comedies are not my jam. <laughs> I wonder if I oh oh I think there might be a, a shirt in that teen comedies <laughs> are not my jam. I'm gonna write that down. Teen comedies are not my jam. That that's definitely a saying that is going to live on after this podcast. Very much in the same way that Spider Man is my morphine is going to. And I I just want to plug this quite quickly. Celebrities plug stuff all the time, so I thought why not. Why not plug? So why not create something to plug? So yeah. if you're interested, listeners, please go to redbubble.com. Mm -hmm. Perhaps type in P-I-K-I-0-5 and you will get taken to a lovely page featuring some lovely and questionable merchandise to do with Do Good Picks. Bad yet surprisingly good film and tv podcast i think the most questionable <laughs> bit of merchandise we have available is a shower curtain <laughs> brilliant two out of six that is doug's lowest score teen comedies are not his jam yep. right now this is yep. just weird coincidence nope. i don't know if you noticed this or not knives out 97 percent rotten tomatoes mm -hmm. extraordinary 97 percent rotten tomatoes spider-man 97 percent rotten tomatoes Clueless, not quite ninety-seven percent, but it's been inverted. It's seventy-nine percent <laughs> with Rotten Tomatoes scoring system. It is, yes. I think Weird. the only numbers they know are seven and nine. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what was it they said? They said a funny and clever reshaping of Emma. Yep. Clueless offers a soft satire that pokes as much fun at teen films as it does at the Beverly Hills glitterati. Yes, it does. However, that was kind of lost on me, the whole parody side of it, because it kind of just looked like yeah. it was being what it was. Like it was, it didn't to me seem like it was a parody, but that that was just lost on me because 
well, I was three at the time, so, you know, forgive me. 79% of the jokes were probably lost on you. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fairly accurate. That's a good, <laughs> that's a good assumption, yeah. Empire gave it four out of five stars. Again, these, apart from Rotten Tomatoes, because Rotten Tomatoes didn't obviously exist mm, back then, no. these reviews, they are a product of the time. So you got to bear that in mind, yeah? I totally get why... There's a lot of jokes lost on you. In 95, Empire give it 4 out of 5 stars. They say thoroughly entertaining as well as being delightfully clever, but not too mm. clever. 3.5 out of 4 from Roger Ebert. He said, the movie is aimed at teenagers, but like all mm. good comedies, it will appeal to anyone, apart from Duke, who has a sense of humour and an ear for the ironic. Heckling walks a fine line between <laughs> satire and put-on, but she finds it. And our dialogue could be anthologized. You have to like a movie with lines such as, searching for high grades in high school is like searching for meaning in a Polly Shore movie. And Doug, by the expression on his face, which I wish you could see, is probably sitting here going, who's Polly Shore? Yeah, who is Polly Shore? <laughs> <laughs> Polly Shore is a 90s comedian slash actor who appeared in a lot of Oh, uh, okay, right. See, comedies and 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 silly comedies. The pick being California Man, also known as Encino Man, which has Sean Astin in it from oh. Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Oh, okay. And the Goonies and Biodome, mm. which co-stars Stephen Baldwin, one of the Baldwin brothers. One of them. Going back to what Ebert said, you know that that probably makes sense. And he's holding back. I can tell. Yeah. No. What I'm kind of more surprised about than anything is that I didn't catch the irony because I'm usually, usually, and I'll put my hands up and say that I obviously didn't this time. But I'm usually quite good at picking that out. I can usually see that, and I can see things for what it is, and usually in things more subtle. But yeah, maybe it was just the context of the film that I just missed it completely. Would that be the point that you you went outside yeah, and shouted your name into the heavens? Yeah, pick up <laughs> Uh, it's like William Shatner in <laughs> Star Trek. Wrath of Khan. Khan! <laughs> Jeanette Maislin in the New York Times said, even if Clueless runs out of gas before it's over, most of it is as eye-catching and cheery as it is as its star. Yeah, fair enough. I'll, yeah, I would, I would agree with that. It's the highlight of Alicia Silverstone's career. Yeah, before uh, the unspoken bat and film the film that the film that shot must not be named <laughs> the the c word in batman film anthology <laughs> you never say it you never ever ever despite what people think of it clueless spawned a tv series that ran for three seasons it had an off-broadway musical came out in 2018 hmm. and it paved the way forward for for future comedies yeah. now this is a bit of a difficult question that i've got to ask you because obviously i know that this is this is not your jam <laughs> if you were to recommend other teen comedies yeah you know from what you've from, from what you've seen what would you go for yeah it's it, like obviously like you said it's not really my thing but i have i have seen the likes of now that i've had a think about it have like i really enjoyed napoleon dynamite now that was that was really funny not not really the same kind of humor or sense of humor or style of comedy but you know just really kind of funny 
I mean, I really enjoyed Superbad, but I think that was because of the age I was when it came out. Uh, that that was th- that kind of more matched up age-wise with sense of humor yeah. with the film, so things like that. And I've seen clips. I've not seen the full thing yet, but it's on my Netflix list. But Ferris Bueller's Day Off with Matt Broderick. Oh my goodness, I can't believe this. This this, yeah, this is uh, as bad as I the know, usual I've, suspects. I know, and it's, I it's one of those, it's one of those films that this. I know I should have seen at this point in my life and and like i said it's on my net it's the first thing on my netflix list and i just haven't watched it yet so <laughs> i'm going to shame you right now both my both my kids shame. both both my kids have seen ferris bueller's day yeah but your kids have got taste <laughs> <laughs> i can't even i can't even quote from ferris bueller now because it'll be lost on you bueller 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 this is for the listeners by the way <laughs> <laughs> for the listeners that have seen it yeah uh, what are you still doing here go home <laughs> <laughs> oh yes there you yeah. go you get that that's good so it's a difficult it's a difficult one for me i rewatched Superbad recently and mm. i really didn't like it i have it on dvd it's on tv often enough and i remember seeing it in 2007 and absolutely loving it in this in the same way that when I saw American Pie in 99, it was, oh my God, this is incredibly funny. Uh, this is, it, and and now those are the things that I am just completely bypassing because, again, I said it at the start of the podcast, I would rather go back to Clueless. I would choose Clueless over these other comedies. Super bad. Again, I know you feel Clueless is a product of its time. Obviously, it's different for me because, like you said, I was fifteen. But Super bad. It probably could be argued that's a product of its time as well because it was it was the time of gross out comedies. Yeah, and I totally agree. And I mean, now that we're talking about it, I, I I do probably sound a little bit hypocritical saying that I don't like gross out comedies. But I think with Super bad. And I mean, I'm not defending it. Like it's not m- like my favorite film. But what I would say was it is definitely a product of its time and it is a gross out comedy and you know it's all about kids you know having this crazy party and getting with girls before they go off to college and stuff but there's a little bit more to the comedy rather than just sex jokes and stuff like that there's a lot of it in it but then you have like bill hader and seth rogan's policeman you know there's there's a bit more range a little bit more range for the comedy and what what film previously had a mclovin good point no film. McLovin's like the American version of Jay from The Inbetweeners. Yeah. Oh, yeah, a wee bit, yeah. Except the American Inbetweeners sucked. So, yeah, so it did, bad. It did. That kind of desperate keep, but also liar at the same time with his his fake id yeah i know what you mean though i I, like i can i can see exactly where you're coming from and like i said you know if it's on netflix or if it's on the option to watch it's there i I tend not to but as far as teen comedies go it's probably something i would maybe watch but that was purely because i was a teenager when it actually came out and i used to find it absolutely hysterical but like you i might rewatch it and it might just it might not be the same like people change i think then um, i'm going to go with a classic recommendation and a new recommendation and it's it's, it's actually quite dangerous going with uh-huh. a new recommendation because i actually haven't seen it it's like you with ferris bueller what i'm going to say for the new recommendation is a film directed by olivia wilde came out in 2019 
and I believe is available on Amazon Prime and it's called Booksmart. And the classic that I'm going to go for, because I genuinely love this movie and it's another modernization, is 10 Things I Hate About You which has got okay. Heath Ledger in it. It is a modernization of Taming of the Shrew by William Shakespeare. And we would not have that movie if it wasn't for Clueless. I rate 10 Things I Hate About You as highly as Clueless. If you haven't seen 10 Things I Hate About You, and this is for our other listeners, this is not for Duke. There's no way Duke is going to go away and watch that movie. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, nope. Check out 10 Things I Hate About You. Nope. Great early performance from Heath Ledger. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is also in it as well and he this was when he was coming off of the back of Third Rock from the Sun and he plays just this really sweet guy mm. who is just trying to hook up with a girl and things aren't working out so he has to enlist the help of Heath Ledger to take out the girl's older sister. The only way that the younger sister can get taken out is if her older sister is also taken out. That's the rule of the household. So Heath Ledger agrees to take out the older sister, Katerina, who is a, a bit of a shrew, and she's not really into relationships at this point in her life. They're not the most important thing to her. So there's all these kind of, again, stereotypical cliches you would expect with a teen comedy movie the big party people getting drunk but because you've got that subtext of william shakespeare's taming of the shrew you've actually got a really nice story at the at the heart of it we come to the exciting part of the show i have been so looking forward to this at the start of the show i said that they we're going to end on a bit of a test now, one of the things that Doug has said he... Well, I'm not, I can't quote Doug on this. Well, that makes one of us. I think I'm going to infer that he loathed the Beverly Hills vernacular. The dialogue. The stuff that I loved. What better way to torture Doug than to ask him some questions about what certain words mean. <laughs> okay, so... And there will be a prize for you, Duke, if you if you get some of these right, okay? Yep. One, two, three, four, five, <laughs> six. I'm gonna ask you six questions. Of course there's there's a forfeit if you get the all of them wrong. Okay dokie. <laughs> At this part of the show, we are going to test Duke's understanding of Beverly Hills High School vernacular. Doug, there is actually a book that you can get on this. Now, the good thing is that with a podcast, remember, I can see you, so your hands off the keyboard. <laughs> right, so question one. What is a burning? Jesus Christ. Um, I'm going to go out there. Yeah, is it a hat? <laughs> is it a hat? No, no. it's not a hat. Yeah. No. <laughs> What the hell is a Barney okay, then? A, Big purple dinosaur. A, a Barney is an unattractive male because he is being compared <laughs> right. to Barney Rubble from the Flintstones. Ah, okay, right. Okay. I'll give you an easy one this time, okay? Okay, thank you. What is a Betty? Is it an unattractive female? Oh, Dick, you're not doing well. Ah, uh, what wasn't... So the one thing... The, the one that did you watch the Flintstones? I did. Yes, sort okay, of. Right. Wait, when the when was the Flintstones? Out? Was that not the eighties, seventies? Yeah, yeah, no eighties. Right. Every 
everybody knows that Barney's wife, Betty, was very attractive and the big joke was, how on earth did Barney ever end up with a Betty? So no, uh, she wasn't unattractive. She was attractive, uh, Doug. No, it's the attractive. The attractive right. So Barney, okay. wow. Barney is an unattractive guy. A Betty, however, is a very attractive mm-hmm. girl. Okay. Right, okay, cool. If you were jeeping, what would you be doing? <laughs> oh, Christ. If you're jeeping... If right. you're it sounds like it's, I'm about to like walk into a trap, but I'm just gonna go with it because I can't think of any alternative. Is it when you're cruising around getting Starbucks or whatever in a jeep? That is incorrect. Ah! <laughs> if you are hooking up with someone, then you you <laughs> are jeeping. What the? Who spoke like this ever? <laughs> God, I'll give you, I'll give you an easy one, because the name said has that already last been mentioned on the show. Okay. What is a Baldwin? What's a Baldwin? Uh, is a Baldwin when is it like an attractive brother of a friend kind of thing? You know, where the Baldwin brothers being, you know, and shares pal Ty kind of likes Paul Rudd's character, whose name I've completely forgotten. So would he be the Baldwin in this scenario? Yay! You got one. Thank the ve- the many various gods that I got that right. <laughs> you've got you've got one out of four. Yes. Chicken dinner okay. winner. When would you say as if? And I, I'm not saying it like how I should say it, but. When when would you say the term as if? Okay, yeah. When you're being accused of something and you are... When you're being accused of something and basically you're trying to say that you haven't or you wouldn't or you didn't kind of thing. So as if is in like, you know, as if I would do something like that. Okay, correct. Yes, right, Yay! two. I'm definitely not doing the forfeit two. now. Right, I've got two at least. Let's see, if I okay. can, let's see if I can get at least half of these right. This is your last question. you can see what he looks like the sweat is dripping off of his head (laughs) if you described someone as a Monet what does that mean? right now this is one of the few things I remember from the film it's if a Monet is if someone looks good from a distance but if you get up close it's not as good looking Yes! Three out of six. I'll take it. I will take Amone that. looks good from afar, but is a mess close up. Yep. In a related story, I used to, and I have to be careful the way I tell this, All I right. used to work at an establishment. One of the teachers had the nickname... 1664 because from what? the back they looked 16 but then they turned around and actually they were 64 okay similar to a monet looks good from a distance and then you get close up and it's all messed that's up. that's really weird like really really weird <laughs> God. unless it's paul rudd i'm sure he'll be an absolute adonis when he's 64 as well so paul rudd's got no best that'll be fine dates chiseled rippling abs at 64 for paul rudd (laughs) 
we're coming to the end of the of, of this our fifth podcast it's been very interesting chatting to you Duke and it's also been very interesting torturing you mm-hmm. not only with the film but with a quiz which you you scored 50 percent, so yep. there's there's no forfeit okay thank you so we come to the point in the show where we just like to see if there's if there's any uh, shout outs to anything on tv any any films any kind of recommendations that we have or any kind of uh, any kind of podcasts so duke have you got any recommendations it's been a bit light on the film and tv watching for me this past week really just been kind of listening to the same sort of more of the same kind of podcasts i will you know what bit out there maybe just as a one-off but i will recommend a couple of bands there's a canadian metal band because i'm in i'm a heavy metal who called protest the hero big fans of theirs uh they released a new song from their upcoming album which was most good most good indeed and uh, a little bit more local a band called beluga lagoon uh, they've got a couple of uh, albums out on Spotify and they released a new song called Misty Monroe FM, which is really nice. So they're kind of like a alternative kind of folk, modern folk kind of band. So yeah, those are those are my recommendations because, yeah, I haven't really watched or seen much else over the last week. So yeah, what about you? What's, what have you got? I've got one recommendation this week. I grew up listening to a lot of rap music and... A lot of people don't actually realise that that's one of the things that I listen to. We've talked about it before because I did mention in the Dead Don't Die episode that I used to listen to things like Wu-Tang Clan, uh, which mm. is why I really appreciated the little cameo of RZA yeah. and, and Whoopies in that film. <laughs> On Apple TV, you can stream the Beastie Boys documentary, which is directed by Spike Jones. And it's really a celebration of not only the career of the Beastie Boys, but really at the the centre of the Beastie Boys was Adam Yurt, who died of cancer in 2012. And he did so much for the Beastie Boys, so much out with the Beastie Boys. They were three guys, but the two guys, the two that are still alive really give this love letter to the legacy that was Adam Yerk in, in the Beastie Boys because the, the day he died was the day that the Beastie Boys died they stopped they could no they couldn't perform anymore as a as they, they couldn't go on as a duo it is a celebration of everything to do with the Beastie Boys but in particular cool. Adam Yerk so one of the one of the best music documentaries I've seen I would Rate it up there with the Ramones documentary, which is also quite emotional, especially when they talk about past band members and things like that that died. It's my that's my recommendation. Nice. Do you have a quote that you would like to end the show on? Um, I don't. But will I? Will I give what we're going to do next week? Will we reveal? Oh, I forgot about that. Yes, that's all right. Uh, of course. So in place we... in place of my quote, because I ain't got one. Do your homework, Duke. I know. I really should. I should. I should put in far more effort. <laughs> um, and you know, <laughs> that, then I wouldn't feel so bad. So um, yeah, no. For next week's uh, recommendation, I really quite enjoyed the Coen Brothers film Inside Llewyn Davis, starring Oscar Isaac as well as 
a whole plethora of other actors. Really, really good. Definitely worth a watch. I've seen it, I think, two or three times so far. Great soundtrack. So, yeah, inside Lewin Davis. I am, in particular, really looking forward to this choice of film because this is sat on my Blu-ray shelf in the plastic wrapping since 2013, which is when I bought it. And I <laughs> haven't watched it considering that i like the majority of coen brothers movies do you know it was one of these things that i've always kind of said i've picked up and went uh, i'm not in the mood for this tonight uh, i'm not in the mood for this tonight and i haven't i've not watched it so good mm-hmm. choice dude you. you're forcing me to watch something that in all honesty probably should have watched by now excellent your education <laughs> continues yeah, and uh, maybe by next podcast I'll have actually watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off as well. So um, I'm, I'm on my way to watching films I should have seen by now. That concludes episode five of Dugan Pick's mm-hmm. Bad Yet Surprisingly Good Podcast. As ever, please follow, subscribe, like, comment, feedback, responses. It would be great to hear if you've got any recommendations. I also feel that I need to say goodbye as well to uh, i worked i found out we had a listener in canada so shout out to canada bye canada and goodbye to canada thanks for thanks for listening anyone that has listened uh yeah like dave said just give us any kind of feedback or recommend it to anyone that's looking for a film review podcast with so so banter <laughs> and uh yeah uh, stay safe and uh Bye. Until next time, looking forward to going inside Llewellyn Davis. Not literally inside him. This is not like the episode of Rick and Morty where they go inside the Santa Claus. Although that would be cool. Anatomy Park. Are we going inside Oscar Isaac? Uh, unfortunately, no. And uh, I don't think you'd approve. That would be a sexy man to yeah. go inside of. Oh, God. What am I saying? There you go. You wore the tone. Oh, dear. We're going inside Oscar Isaac next week. Get your rubber gloves. <laughs> Get... <laughs> oh. Get your rubber gloves. Get... <laughs> I can't say it. Get your lubricant. Oh, God, my face is killing me. Oscar, (laughs) bend over. We're coming for you. Bye, guys. Bye. (laughs) Bye, Canada. (laughs) Oh. Oh, my God, they killed Kenny. have changed our kids are getting worse they won't obey their parents they just want to fart and curse should we blame the government or blame society or should we blame the images on tv now blame canada blame canada it seems that everything's gone wrong since canada came along For your son's stand He saw the darn cartoon And now he's off to join the clan And my boy Eric once Had my picture on his shelf But now when he sees me He tells me to f*** myself Blame Canada Blame Canada Because when Canada is gone There'll be no more Celine Dion Blame Canada Blame Canada They're not even a real country anyway
Kenny could have been a doctor or a lawyer rich and true. Instead, he burned up like a piggy on the barbecue. Should we blame the nurses? Should we blame the fire? The doctors who were loud and doing fire. no! With all their hockey hullabaloo and that bitch and Murray too. All I can say is I give all this Canada's love. Everybody!